podcast of power, the Shira and the Princesses of Power uh, companion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nero. And I'm the other host, Jane. And we made it, folks. We're at the end of season one. We're going to be talking about season one, episode 13, The Battle of Bright Moon, which, interestingly enough, shares its title with an episode from the original Shira show. Yes, it's um, it's one of the few episodes that do. I'm not sure how many do, but uh, certainly uh, one of the the illustrious few. And uh, unfortunately, honestly, kind of one of the weaker episodes of season uh, one, and maybe the show in general. I would say that for me, this episode is in the bottom five. I I think. And that's not to say it's bad. Uh, it's still Shira, which means even when it's operating at its lowest point, it's still pretty good. It's just that compared to a lot of other season finales, this one really, really suffers in terms of the animation, in terms of the action scenes, in terms of just sort of what goes on in it, the plot of it. It's just kind of a, it's kind of a dull one. I don't know. Yeah, the build quality isn't especially great um, in any of the sort of areas that it plays in, which is a shame, but it's also like, you know, they're they're still kind of getting their footing, I think, a bit, especially um, in this half of season one. Like, they've kind of, they made that transition from, you know, a Monster of the Week show to... Um, a more plot-heavy and and development-heavy show, and there's a little bit of, like, shakiness there, and I think that having this, like, first climax, you know, there's there's a bit of a learning curve to it, so, you know, there's, there's some growing pains there. Exactly, exactly, and I think one of the reasons that this episode feels so uneven is because... There was a huge storyboarding team on this one. I, I think there were like five or six boarders working on this, and you can really, really tell. This 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 episode just sort of wildly oscillates back and forth between uh, quality and style. Yeah, it like... It's weird, because you notice that the show has... And we've talked about this before. Um, it's not especially committed to staying... 100% on model um and not in a way that necessarily like a show like Steven Universe or, or OKKL might um define itself as staying off model in that they don't really care to adhere to it it's more that everyone kind of has their own specific way of drawing the characters and by having so many different borders um in this you get these very like little differences between them sometimes between shots um, in the same sequence, and it's it can be a little jarring um, at times. Yeah, it's it, it is especially jarring in action sequences and the sort of cuts involved in those. Like, there's some really good, strong animation in this episode, but unfortunately, a lot of the main set pieces don't look very good, in my opinion. They, I don't know what it is. Like the the sort of the way they move and the way it looks it just feels kind of off kind of janky i think that's what that that's the word that i would use to describe this episode uh it, it is janky it just it just sort of feels like it's it's barely holding together sometimes but it it, it does manages to end on a pretty strong note at least yeah i would say like 
when it comes down to it, one of the critical issues um, with this show's animation in general, but like you, it's especially um, it's especially a problem right here, where there's not an especially good sense of of uh, carry through. Um, there's not an especially good sense of weight and motion to um, a lot of different. Uh, shots. Uh, you notice this especially in there's there's a couple of really specific bits where the action really breaks down. There's the uh, catcher and Adora fight. Most of that fight actually is completely like serviceable. Like some of it's actually even quite good. I I like the bits where um, catcher's getting like on top of Adora and clawing at her. I like the bit where Adora is kind of just throwing herself like a wrecking ball and just wildly busting through these floating rocks like that's quite strong um the the jump transitions uh the hulk moment those are quite good but um the bit where she kind of goes super saiyan 2 a little bit and then throws the rock to knock her out of the sky the motion of that does not translate very well and it ends up looking just kind of muddied like you kind of lose the the sense of space a little bit and you have the same problem pop up when perfuma shows up and then she starts kind of she she throws her vines to stage right and then kind of picks those two tanks up and strangles them in the foreground and that that also loses its sense of space pretty quickly because they're trying to do some like tricksy camera work which is like which is good but it just doesn't, it doesn't translate super well. Um, there's also kind of a problem, I've noticed a couple of times uh, in season one, where there's just some weird lip syncing issues. Um, it's really bad in this episode. Um, there's a lot of very strange lip syncing issues, especially on um, Katra, it seems, like especially like her close-up shots. And I'm wondering if maybe there were some line reads that were redone and they just didn't have the time um to go back and edit some of the lip syncing it's it's a very weird problem because you don't see it come up after this season yeah i think you might be right about some adr or something because there are a few line reads in this episode that i just sort of go like that's that feels weird that feels like a redub almost we've talked a lot about the show's strengths and weaknesses when it comes to animation over the course of, of the show, uh, I think this is this episode is certainly where we're going to be most critical of the animation because I just think that big action scenes are kind of one of the show's big weaknesses. The it, it's just a matter of what this show is, right? This show is about characters and their emotions and their arcs, and ultimately those are much much better served in tight one-on-one fights rather than these these sort of big epic battle set pieces the the stakes here in the battle of bright moon the titular battle of bright moon feel kind of wobbly like they are you know world ending and stuff but there's for a majority of it we're not really focusing on the characters necessarily we're just doing the big battle um with the exception of, of course, Theodora and Catra fight and, and some of the stuff with Angela and Glimmer. But, like, there's not really any big moments with uh, Spinnerella and Natasa, who are, like, finally brought in in this episode after just sort of being mostly background gags uh, for this entire first season or just kind of there, there in the background. But we finally get to see them in action. It turns out they're pretty strong. 
yeah, like finally the Cloud Wives kind of make their real appearance here, and yeah, they're very they're very strong. Of course, Spinnerella being the the wind girl she she can do uh most things uh pretty well right and natasa uh can toss nets as her name suggests and they work very well together i think that they are a fun part of this episode but they really get much better moments later on in the show but i think this is a fun introduction to them and their their kind of uh, dynamic. Other characters with really, really good moments in this episode, I think. This is a big Adora episode, I feel. Regardless of all of the other weaknesses that we think this episode has, I think Adora has some very good moments and some very uh, pivotal moments in her arc here in this episode, specifically with how she just can't stop taking everyone's burdens onto herself yeah this is an episode that actually does kind of claw into the meat of adora's kind of mental situation a little bit it doesn't happen for an especially long portion of the episode but the portions where it is kind of brought front and center it is extremely focused on straight up just like there's a couple of really specific lines uh that she has where it's just like well you know if shira can't do this alone what good is she like what's the point of her you know, and she kind of storms out of the war room, you know, Bone Glimmer catch up to her and are like, hey, you know, what's going on? And Adora's like, well, you know, Light Hope said that if I went back to my friends, then all I was going to do is cause everyone misery and ruin everything. And look, she was totally right. Um, this is entirely my fault. So she's not doing great on the whole mental front. Weirdly, and I think this is one of the very few, like, major stumbling blocks in the character writing. I think that it is really out of character and weird that neither Bo nor Glimmer comment on the fact that Adora is like, hey, this is entirely my fault, uh, and also entirely my responsibility fix, and they just don't comment on it. They just kind of give her a hug and then walk to the room full of you know, fancy weapons. Yeah, it, it is kind of a weird, uh, like, thing to leave out. I, I really do feel like Bone Glimmer would have something to say about that, especially at, at this point in their arcs. And this sort of through line with Adora carries on into her fight with Catra, where, like, Catra uses her sort of um, habit to, to habit that to take everything on onto her shoulders against her, by luring her away from the main battle like she's after after she kind of wins their fight she just straight up tells the door oh you thought this was about you no this is just a trick yeah not everything is about you not every battle is you are not not the linchpin of every battle and i think we should talk a little bit about this catra and adora fight because it is the strongest part of the episode by far this is sort of the the first big conflict that they have after promise and they are are Adora is swinging hard in this fight. I gotta say, she is she is going for some pretty hard punches. No, yeah, like I wouldn't say Adora is going for kill shots, but she absolutely is trying to hurt Catra at this point. Like a lot of the the previous episodes, like when they've when they've had fights, it's been pretty tame, all things considered. Like, Adora's mostly going for grapples and just trying to restrain Catra. In this, she is genuinely trying to do some damage. And 
you know, she's, like I was saying, she's kind of throwing herself around like a wrecking ball. Like, it's kind of an extension a bit of her feelings of being kind of a tool or a weapon. You know, she's She-Ra. She's meant to be wielded. This is her job. Um, and she's kind of just wielding herself like a big bludgeon. You know, throwing herself wildly out of position. Um at basically any opportunity she can get to just do damage to Katra, which there's definitely this like internal situation between Adora's like Atlas complex situation where she's feeling like, you know, she has to be the tool that wins the day. Um, but there's also the other half of it, which is that she's genuinely just having a really miserable time of it with regards to Katra and She's very, very upset, and she's willing to kind of take a lot of these emotions out on Katra. Yeah, earlier in the episode, she straight up, like, blames herself for Katra's decision in the Crystal Castle. She says it was all her fault that Katra decided to, you know, permanently turn, uh, so to speak. And, you know, once again, taking everything on as her fault, as her responsibility, as her burden... When, like, we we as the audience know, we saw Catra's internal decision-making process, and we know that she came to that on her own. It wasn't the right decision, but she came to it on her own. Yeah. With a little help, with a little help from a first one's trauma machine. Uh, yeah. But regardless, I think that really does sort of get communicated in this fight. Even we have another moment of one of them dangling over a cliff yet again. I gotta love the cliff shots. This time, the Adora does not reach for the hand to grab her. She reaches right past the arm, grabs Catra by the collar, and just slams her against the wall. Like, yeah. there's no sort of... It's almost as if she's saying, well, I guess I've given up on rescuing you. Now I just have to stop you. Yeah, that's I, that's kind of the mood of it that Adora's kind of embodying here. The end of The end of Promise is, like, that is kind of the bit where they both kind of give up on each other. And they try to they try to move on in their own ways. It doesn't work very well. You can tell they're both having kind of a rough time of it, um, but they are trying to kind of just move on and see each other as pure enemies, and you know, in like this very utilitarian way. They're not doing a good job of it. They've got a lot of emotions uh, wrapped up in this, but uh, but you can tell that they're they're trying at least. Right. There's there's a lot of uh, parallels to some of their their past conflicts uh, in this fight. I already mentioned the cliffs, but also Catra pops out of a tank at the start of this fight, uh, just like she did in episode two. Um, a lot less jovially this time, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I also want to shout out one really good moment of animation, I think. So, Catra uh, is like claws out this entire fight. She is she is going for the scratches. Of course, they can't, you know, draw blood or anything. This is a kid's show. But I think they work around that in a really interesting way when she gets past Adora's defenses and scratches her on the back. The um, the screen goes completely black and just the, the scratches are bright red against a, a completely black background. And I think that really does that really sells how painful that uh, that was for sure. As well as the fact that those uh, obviously those those marks are, are still on her back as the fight continues. 
No, yeah, like, I thought that actually was a really strong, like, visual way of, of illustrating that. Yeah, like, you know, it's a Y-17 show. You can't get away with doing too much blood and gore. You know, they they work around that pretty well in this episode, actually. Like, you know, Adora gets some pretty serious battle damage by the end of it by, like, this show's standards. Yeah, she's pretty scruffed up. If this was, if this was a, a, a Dragon Ball Z episode, she'd definitely be covered in blood Vegeta style. It's, it's She has a pretty rough one in this episode. And, and, like, she loses the sword pretty early on in the fight. And has to go swordless for the rest of the episode, which really hinders her. Um, thankfully, the the Princess Alliance sort of reconvenes at the end to save the day. But uh, before we get to that ending there, I think we should talk about the other part of this episode that I think is very strong, which is Glimmer and Angela. At the beginning of this episode, when they're in the armory, which, by the way, a very good moment of... This armory, Brightman doesn't have an armory. Glimmer has just been collecting weapons and putting them in a secret side room to use for later uh, without her mother's knowledge. Yeah, it's very funny. She's just like, oh yeah, you know, for months I've been just storing as many weapons as I could find in here. Which, you know, begs the question, where is she finding these weapons if there isn't an armory? They all ha- they all very much fit the bright moon aesthetic. Um, I don't know where she keeps finding these. I guess just like in other kingdoms and villages when she goes to defend them. There's some pretty wild ones in here. Uh, we we got a few shields. We got this big flail that Swiftwind wants to use. We have a couple of like big twin feather daggers. I don't know what that's about. Yeah, there's a gigantic halberd, which I of course am a big fan of. Uh, you know, pole arms. Poems are always a, a good time. Um, you know, honestly, a lot of these look like very decorative. I wonder if like a lot of these were just hanging up on the wall in various spots in in Bright Moon, and she just kind of <laughs> took them. <laughs> that is very possible. I don't think Glimmer knows a lot about weapons, other than that she sees a weapon and goes, "Ah, cool, a sword," and takes it. Yeah. God, it'd be very funny if, like, some of these were those, like, definitely only for decoration, they're not even sharpened, you know? Right. Uh, Which is why it's a good thing that Angela gives her Micah's staff here right before this fight starts. Because obviously she can't use her powers. Uh, She's still glitching through most of this episode. Mm-hmm. And it's just this very good moment of they've been at odds this entire season with Angela wanting to be more careful and Glimmer wanting to be more gung-ho, bring the fight to the Horde. Um, And and this sort of moment here is the the final uh, kind of reconciliation between those two in terms of that, where, where she... She passes on her uh, her dad's sort of legacy to her at last. Yeah, it's actually, it's quite a good moment. So we talked a little bit, I think in the previous episode, about like how the show tends to revisit these big catharsis moments and iterate on them, which I quite like a lot. And, you know, each one kind of, it iterates on it just very slightly. Like the last Angela and Glimmer conversation, you know, was kind of about you don't need to sneak out all the time. You can just be upfront with me. I'm not going to stop you from, you know, going out and saving the world anymore. So that, you know, that was a very good, like, evolution of their relationship. And now you have this one, and I think it's kind of a really important moment. It's it's not outright, like, obvious. I, I don't think, like, it's not, like, completely overtly stated or anything. But one of the things with Angela is that she 
relies on Glimmer's ability to teleport to feel like she is safe. Like, a lot of the times, especially early on in, in season one, you know, what is Angela kind of order her to do, right? You know, if there's trouble, teleport out. You know, if there's, you know, something going on, you need to get out of there, you know, you know, how are you charged up? Have you, how many teleports have you used today? That sort of thing. Like, she's very concerned about, like, you know, as long as Glimmer has her powers, then she's pretty safe. She doesn't have to be that concerned because, you know, she can get out of Dodge if she needs to. But with her being completely depowered, more or less, that safety net does not exist you know, she doesn't want Glimmer to, to go out at first. She's like, no, you need to stay inside. You're, you know, you're glitching and you can't teleport. It's like a whole thing. You need to stay safe. Um, but, you know, she kind of, she backs up a bit and she, she realizes, you know, not only is this not productive, but, you know, it's just not good. Like, you can't kind of fall back on that at this point in the game. So, you know, she gives Glimmer Micah's staff and kind of passes on that baton a little bit it's it's a good scene i quite like the scene yeah um angela is also you know she's spending this fight trying to keep the moonstone up she she's she's sitting on the control point um and at one point she's menaced by one of the big tall horde bots which just a very fun detail i don't know if it i don't know if it's you know any any meaningful parallel or anything but it's just a very fun one the horde bot that attacks her is the one that has her image sort of superimposed over it in horde training the big tall ones with the two guns so it's very funny that 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 is the first time we ever glimpsed her was was her like evil twisted image superimposed over this robot and then the uh the final thing she kind of does in this season is fight one of those off yeah i thought that was a really good like that was a really nice touch when you pointed that out to me because I didn't think about that beforehand. Um, but it's it's a really good little like subtle touch. I don't think we even see like the tall the tall bots come back. I'm not sure. I remember I remember seeing them come back. No, they get replaced by something. I think. Um, but mm. yeah, this is this is kind of their last moment in the spotlight. Uh, we should talk about the end of this episode where everyone. Uh, brings it in and and the princess alliance reforms here it's fun it's good it's you know all all of our all of our side characters coming back together including frosta sort of joining for the first time the important thing to talk about here i think is when at, at the at the end after they've sort of uh smashed up the horde with their powerful powers everyone including everyone is sort of empowered by Shira's presence and starts glowing, and we see all of the uh, respective runestones of each kingdom get this kind of ward around it. It's it's interesting. It, it, Light Hope is always telling Adora she needs to balance the planet, and and this seems almost like the the first step in that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm not like a hundred percent sure necessarily like what's going on with that. Like the interpretation I'm getting out of it is that you know. Shira's deal, like she's got the sword of protection and the rune stone of protection. And my the way that it kind of seems to me is that it's like you know when all of the rune stones are kind of linked up in this way, like the princesses are kind of in harmony. You know they um the sword of protection can kind of put like you said like a ward like like uh, put some antivirus software on there. You know 
get some get some Norton three sixty protection on all of these uh, these various magical rocks. Yeah, exactly. I don't really know what the significance of it is, but like it just it just sort of it just sort of serves to center Shira as the like linchpin in this whole thing, uh, with regards to the Runestone Network. I think that might be it for this episode. Really, like it's it's gonna be kind of a lighter one because ultimately that not a lot happens in this episode to really dig deep down into. It's it's sort of like no princess left behind where it's almost entirely like a big set piece episode with some character in a moment sprinkled in between. But I think No Princess Left Behind is significantly stronger than this episode um, because it's much funnier. Yeah, No Princess Left Behind has a lot more humor in it. Uh, this this episode is, I, I don't want to say humorless, but like it's, it's largely very self-serious. And I think that's another thing, right? Like this show has, it strikes a very good balance of being self-serious where it matters but also keeping like a tone of levity to it and there's like a couple of like small moments of that in this episode but i think it leans a little bit too heavily into the self-seriousness um and in areas that just don't work as well like the when when they try and do like the like the war aspect of it like they play up the actual war of it like i just i feel like that never works super well at any point in the show but it's especially weak in this episode but yeah it's i don't know i don't know it's 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 uh it's tricky i think um it's useful to compare this uh this episode's sort of brand of self-seriousness with promise which i think is a very serious episode there's like there's like very few jokes in promise um but that is an episode entirely centered around adora and catra and their emotional arc like it is serious about the characters and this the personal stakes that they have in this thing this is like you said it's much more focused on this big battle on the war and like shira isn't really good at being a story about war no yeah like most of the time it isn't about that it's that's the setting that's the like flavor that the show has that it fills in with a bunch of other stuff yeah it's kind of the set dressing mostly it's like shira is a show where the primary subject matter is interpersonal relationships um and trauma like that's kind of the majority of what it tackles and it uses it uses war as kind of a uh the word on the tip of my tongue is metaphor but i don't think that's quite right it kind of like a a vector through which to deliver that stuff it is the it is the it is the medium it is the canvas on which it paints these relationships and stories about trauma exactly exactly it's it's kind of just the backdrop really and when they kind of bring the war aspect of it like to the forefront like that's kind of the 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 core of the plot it does it does kind of fall short a little bit and it's not as bad later on in the show i think this is like when it's at its most like you know ineffectual but like yeah it's it's just not as it's not a war show and i think that largely the show knows that so it doesn't go into these kind of episodes very often but yeah it is it is kind of the weakest part of the program Right. Like, there are other shows that are kind of the show's contemporaries or predecessors 
that do the war aspect better. I think Avatar does it better. The Clone Wars does it better. But that's because they're stories that are meant to be about war and its effects and what goes into it. Um, this show isn't necessarily, like he's, like we've been saying, it's not a war story. It's a story with war in it. Yeah, exactly. Like, the Clone Wars, I think, is actually a very adapt, like, um, very adept comparison here because that is a show that is, like, it's got a lot of um, interpersonal relationships in it, but, you know, it's kind of the reverse of Shira in that way where, like, it is a story about the Clone Wars and about, like, how messed up all that is. Um, and the way it affects everyone it touches. The Jedi, the clones, the Padawans, the Sith, everyone. No one is, is sort of untarnished by it, and it is a show about that. Yeah, and and the and the whole relationship between, like, Ahsoka and Anakin and everyone else, like, that's kind of the background in that show. Whereas here, again, it's the reverse, you know? Everyone's relationships is, like, the thing that's the meat of it here. Right. Um, I think that'll do it for our pre-spoiler discussion of the Battle of Bright Moon. This is probably... I would say this is going to be our most critical episode of this entire podcast i think this is kind of the 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 lowest valley that this show has i'm struggling to think of another episode that sort of has flaws like this one does and i'm not really coming up with any i know i guess there's there's one episode that i like less than this but it's for different reasons yeah there's there's a couple episodes i think i would place down down here in in the in the pits but like Generally, yeah, this is probably going to be where the, we're the most critical because, like, this is the episode I think that has the most, like, major standout flaws in it. But, um, but yeah. Before we get to the spoiler zone, though, we do have quite a few questions for this week. We got a full Curious Catra uh, for you guys today. All of these are from anonymous Curious Catra users. Um, and I'm going to start with a pretty simple one uh thoughts on the armored costumes for the battle so we've talked a little bit about these outfits but i think it's time to really hit these hard for the final time that they're going to be relevant because they never show up again um i think that glimmers looks really good i think swiftwind looks nice in his horse armor it's very fitting. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad they spent the five dollars for the Swiftwind horse armor. We bought the Swiftwind horse armor DLC. It looks really good on him. Bow looks all right. Uh, I think it, it just it's just, it, it's a little too angular for him. I always associate him with like rounded edges and and hearts and stuff. Uh, but that armor is very triangular and such. Yeah. The sheer armor looks bad. The sheer armor just looks bad. It's. I don't know, like, we we touched on this before, but, like, these these armored designs are very toyetic, and this is kind of, I, I think, this episode actually is extremely toyetic. You know, you've got the, like, you've got the tanks and the skimmers, and, like, all the princesses are here, and, you know, the main three have their special little outfits. It's like, you know, you can tell this is got a lot of grounding in um in the classic shira show right which was itself an extremely uh toyetic product um right and that's something that the show never was um either by design or by just sort of 
uh, disinterest from uh, DreamWorks. I don't know if any of their other sort of. I don't know if Voltron had any toys. Like I don't know if any of their other. I don't know if Troll Hunters has any toys. I feel like I've seen. I feel like I've seen Voltron toys before. I think like right. the last time I ever went in a Toys R Us, there might have been one. Uh, but this show never really got a merchandise pu- push. There's like I know that there's like a foam sort of protection, and there's probably some action figures, but it really didn't get anything at all. Um, and the Shira armor, actually, interestingly enough, I feel like that 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 one is the one that feels like you can buy that separately to slot over your Shira figure. Like it looks like you can just sort of uh, put it over the shoulders. Yeah, it just kind of clips on there. Yeah, I just think it looks really dorky, and I'm glad they never brought this look back, because I think it it just looks bad. Yeah, I think one of the problems also is, like, the color choices are really bad on it. I think, like, it's trying to do, like, the gold motif, right? But the problem is, they couldn't do the whole thing in a shiny gold, but they wanted to keep the whole thing as a gold color. So their solution to that problem is to make all of the parts of that vest um, that aren't shiny just this kind of brownish yellow color and it just doesn't it doesn't translate really well it doesn't feel necessarily like gold it kind of just feels like an ugly fabric right it 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 doesn't look great. Um, and let's contrast that with the best armor, which is Glimmer's. I think Glimmer looks fantastic. She she does be, she do be dressing in this episode. Yeah, like it honestly looks really nice. It, it matches the the staff she gets really well. It's it's a really well thought out uh, piece of kit for her. I think like it it maintains a lot of the critical aspects of her design. Like, you know, she's still got the shorts. You got to have the shorts. And uh, she's got kind of the the cape thing going on. But, like, you know, she's got these, like, cool pauldrons and this, like, big um, popped collar. And the colors also just work really well. Like, this kind of very slightly purple-tinged silver and this uh, really dark purple um, accent color. It just, it works really well. Like, it's a really fun design and um you know it's it's a fan favorite design for a reason like they do kind of bring it back later i would buy a glimmer figure with his armor on. i think it looks great yeah i would put it in my shelf all right next question yet again from an anonymous curious catcher user uh to me it was always interesting how weak she got when she was overwhelmed in the battle without the sword but then a lot of the other battles later, she doesn't lean on the sword and seems to have a lot more physical stamina. Do you have any thoughts on that? Maybe it's because her age, because of her age at the time, since she's only around seventeen. Yeah, she once she loses the sword, she pretty much gets stomped uh, first by Katra, and then by all of these horde dudes. And I do think it is just sort of a combination of she's go she's going through it, she's in her feelings about a lot of stuff. And she's just not quite at full strength. She's it, this is still season one. She's still getting the hang of a lot of things. Yeah, she's 
she's going through it and she's she's getting the hang of things but there's also an angle of like she's wearing herself out really fast like she is especially in the in the catcher fight like she is really throwing every last scrap of energy she has into it and she's she's doing it in a very inefficient way like she mostly just wants us to be over as fast as possible like she's feeling horrible guilt and responsibility she wants us to be over she wants Katra to be gone like not dead necessarily but you know not here she is expending an enormous amount of energy in that fight and it it drains her a bit and you can and you can tell um especially when she gets like the the four like electro whips around her like she starts to uh really start to pass out actually she starts seeing like quadruple vision and uh is barely conscious uh for most of that sequence actually right yeah i think you hit it pretty well there all right next episode or excuse me next question we're not, <laughs> we're not doing episode season two episode one yet no not until quite two weeks uh question about episode 13 number one why do you think bo's heart lit up at the end of the episode why didn't Seahawk light up? Now, this is interesting. Yeah, everyone glows except Bo, but his heart glows, but Seahawk doesn't glow at all. Um, and that's because Seahawk doesn't have an emblem. That's true. He does not have an emblem. I guess the closest thing Seahawk has to an emblem is a burning boat, but that doesn't really translate very well to an outfit design. There's like nothing on him to glow, really, um, except his scarf, maybe. But that wouldn't look very good. I think that'd be very funny if his ascot started glowing. And also, like Bo's heart glows because he's the heart of the team. He's he's the he's the glue holding them all together. He's the he's the center of the best friend squad. Yeah, no, exactly. Like you know, he's not a princess, but he does have like a very specific like role that he fulfills um he has a very specifically emotional role that he brings to the table and i think that's like you know largely like if we want to talk about like kind of the diegetic explanation i think i feel like largely it's because you know the powers of the princesses right are largely emotion based it seems like there's a lot of emotional like energy that is involved here so i think that you know Bo being kind of the emotional center of of the best friend squad, like that kind of translates a little bit into the magic of the world. Um, but, you know, from a non-diegetic perspective, it's mostly just, you know, a very critical visual indicator that, you know, Bo is kind of the, the heart of the squad here. Right. All right. Second part of this question. Noelle said that the rainbow at the end was the gay agenda. Parentheses, amazing. The rainbow created by all the princesses was the final blow to the horrid side of the battle. We see Catra drowned in rainbow power. Is there some metaphor behind this part of the episode in regards to the oppressive nature of the horde versus the accepting nature of the princess alliance? I could, yeah, I, I think that, I think that there is. I think that's one of the like that is a theme um, of the show that the the horde is largely a very repressive structure it's a structure based um really largely in these very like toxic conceptions of uh interpersonal relationships there's a layer of 
like very heavy masculinity um, in a bad way um, to a lot of the the way that they kind of handle handle each other and, and emotions and that sort of thing. It's an organization that doesn't exactly uh, strike me as uh, one that would end up on the, you know, like, best LGBT places to work for list on, in Forbes magazine, you know? Um, and by contrast, you know, the Princess Alliance is, is you know, posited as the more accepting um, situation here. So I would say, yeah, the, that, that metaphor definitely does exist here. I agree. It's it's definitely one of the most striking images in this episode. The the big rainbow wave uh, just just crashing over Catra. Yeah, it's it's a really good visual. I love that visual a lot, actually. Uh, we've got one episode, or we got one. I keep calling them episodes. A question is an episode in its own way. It's it's an episode of the mind. Uh, we've got one question into the spoiler zone, but we've got one more here. Um, this one's not about Battle of Brightman. This is an old one from someone who's catching up. Uh, Hi, I know I'm late, but I wanted to share with you guys how terrifying I found the scene in Promise when Catra gets caught by the spider in the mirror. The color palette, the fact that Adora loses her grip on Catra and that she's afraid and crying. I love the podcast, by the way. I'm really glad I found you. Thank you for the kind words, and I agree that the, we shouted that moment out as just a, a a truly terrifying sort of sequence of events. Uh, the security spiders continue to be the scariest part of the show. I think they're just so gross. They're gross and they're scary, and there's there's just something that is genuinely very frightening like in a primal way of the idea of like being captured and completely restrained and helpless by like a very large scary animal and being like dragged away to your fate like that that horrible tension of knowing that like you can't do anything um and this animal is just gonna do whatever it wants to you once you know, it pulls you back to wherever it's taking you. It's, there's, there's definitely like a, you know, reptile brain, like Neolithic human instinct reaction to stuff like that. Like it's, it's a scary thought. It's, yeah, it's definitely that sort of deep, dark part of your, or part of your mind that, that it still itches up. It's that, it's that primal fear of just being dragged off in the night by, by, just some random predator. So that's going to do it for questions this week. A lot of questions. Um, if you want to send in questions, you can follow us on Twitter uh, at Podcast of Power, if you don't already, which, uh, you know, we post uh, every time we're uh, before we record, we post question calls uh, for our curious cat and, and other such things. Um if you want to follow us on Tumblr, that's going to be potofpower.tumblr.com. Less stuff on there that mostly just post episodes on there. Um, if you have thoughts that can't fit into the Twitter character limit or the Curious Cat character limit, we have an email. Uh, that email, of course, is potofpower at gmail.com. Um, and in fact, you know, we're next episode, we are, instead of jumping right into season two, we're going to do a, a sort of recap and a big email episode, because we've got a couple of big ones here in the chamber. Um, 
that are uh, they are spoilery. So if you are not uh, if you are not doing the spoiler stuff, I would recommend avoiding that episode. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be very spoiler heavy. We're probably not going to do like a spoiler zone. We'll just do like the whole thing as as one shot. Um, but yeah, if you've got stuff you want to talk about, um, yeah, send in emails. That'll be, that'll be a very fun one. Um, I'm looking forward to just kind of digging into, into like some, some deep dive questions. That'll be fun. Deep dive. We're going to recap our thoughts on the season and we've also got some announcements to do. So just keep an eye out for that episode next week. Yeah, definitely. With that, with that, uh, this week, our episode is done. Uh, well, the non-spoiler horrific episode, anyway. Um, so, for those of you not joining us, have a have a good uh, rest of the day. For those of you who are joining us, see you on the other side. See you there. So, uh, this this episode, this spoiler zone is mostly going to be talking about the season three uh, finale, the portal. Well, technically, it's a two parter, but we're just going to call it the portal mm-hmm. because I think these two episodes are very similar in sort of the themes that they deal with. But the portal is much much better at it because um, it's not centered around this big epic fight it's just it, it's very it's a very personal catastrophe it's a very personal apocalypse in in that episode yeah i think they do a really really they do a very strong job with um like the stakes are higher than they've ever been in the portal right like basically the entire planet is going to explode but it's the conflict is pared down to its barest possible essentials like in this episode it's it's kind of the same thing, right? This is Katra and Adora duking it out, largely. Um, but it's obfuscated by the whole backdrop of the war and of the attack on Bright Moon and stuff like that. But, you know, in the portal, they kind of peel away sort of the, the, the corn husk of the plot. And they kind of just they kind of just come right out with like, you know, this is this is about Adora and Katra kind of going mano a mano here. And the episodes are much stronger for it because, you know, you don't have to spend uh, quite as much time on all this other kind of ancillary stuff that's going on. Which isn't to say that the plot is necessarily bad and should kind of be put to the side. It's just that, like we said, the the war plot is, is not the strong aspect here. And, you know, when you kind of pare that back a little bit and focus more on you know, the interpersonal conflict, that's where it really shines. And it's kind of unfair, I guess, to compare this episode with The Portal, because that's a two-parter. It has a lot more time to really dig into the characters. Um, but it's just so much more compelling. The The fight that Catra has with Adora in that episode is honestly probably one of my favorite sequences in the whole show. Um 
And, you know, I used to think, oh, the, the fight between Catron Azor and Battle of Brightwind's really cool, but it ultimately over underwhelmed me a lot. Like, there's a lot of one-on-one fights Adora has with Catra, and this one is easily the, the weakest one, like... Yeah, like, there's there's some good bits in it, like the, the scratching bit, like, that's very strong, that jump transition, very strong. Uh, there's a couple of, like, specific shots that I think are really good visually, but it, it lacks a lot of the emotion that a lot of the other Catra and Adora fights have, which is, which is weird to say, because this is a very emotional fight. It just doesn't, I don't feel like the emotions translate super well, not in the way that a lot of the other ones do. This fight is honestly, like it's a little utilitarian. It's kind of serving a, a, a purpose, you know, it's like keep Adora away from the fight. Um, and keep her distracted it doesn't really like it doesn't get into the into the character drama um of these two fighting quite the same way as it does other times i think one of the main problems is that like catra and adora in battle of bright moon are like pretty clearly just playing the hero and villain roles in this fight Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of interplay between them or, or any sort of shades of gray. There's not, and it's weird because this is the this is the fight after promise. You'd think that there would be a lot more to pull on there, but it, it doesn't really come through in the fight. Meanwhile, um, Catra is in a very similar position in Portal, where her actions are like causing the a huge destruction of huge parts of the planet, and Portal's case, the entire planet. And she is just in full-on supervillain mode. Like, she becomes, like, a portal monster at the end of that episode. And, and yet, like, it's it's fully... Her reasons for, this, for these actions really shine through. And the tragedy of it really does become the center of that fight here it's it's in the it's stuck in the middle of this episode and, and there's a bunch of other moments around it it just feels like it gets lost in the shuffle yeah that's another good point it the the way the fight is kind of just kind of placed into the episode it's not really like it's not the climactic fight it's not the it's not really the most important fight it is largely a distraction it's a largely utilitarian and tactical decision you know, it's not given, I don't feel like it's given the the headspace it really needs to kind of spread its wings, um, which is a shame. I mean, it's still, it's still like, to be clear, it's still like a completely um, decent fight scene and honestly the best one in the whole episode, but it just, it just doesn't hold up quite as strong um, in comparison to, to the other ones in the show. And we're not, we're not even going to talk about the save the cat fight scene. We can't. Yeah. That one blows everything else in the show out of the water, pretty much. Um, yeah, we got to save that. That scene is uh, wow. Yeah, that's probably the best scene in the whole show. But we'll we'll get to save the cat. We'll have a just an enormous amount to say about save the cat. You want to talk about emotions? That scene's got them. Oh, got a lot of them. Big time, big time. Um, speaking of emotions, though, uh, one of the other things that I really want to touch on is kind of Catra's very inflated sense of, like, self-importance in all of this. Um, She's getting reinforced in a very, very negative way uh, with her decision-making. 
pretty much entirely because Horak is like just straight up incompetent. <laughs> He's not good at what he does at all. Yeah, like th- this is a facet of his character that really does become clear as the show goes on. Here he is still kind of shrouded in mystery, so he still seems like the big scary dude who's got a big secret plan. But then we learn that his big secret plan is to call his big brother for help. Like, that's it. That's the only thing he's got. Yeah, like, his, his his big secret plan is call his brother for help, and also he really wants a gigantic Mega Man arm cannon. Just, yeah. Like, that's it. That's that's all this dude's got. Um, and frankly, he's made it pretty far on just that, but I think that's because he's he's had very smart people working for him. Like, you know... He had Shadow Weaver working for him. Now he's got Catra advising him. Like Catra is very, very smart. Has a lot of good tactical decisions. Um, Hordak is like barely thinking about tactics at all. He's just he he just you know sends wave after wave of robots. The only reason the Horde is performing so well here is is sheer force of numbers. Like he can just make more robots if he wants to, um, and ultimately the average Ethereum citizen isn't going to be able to do a whole lot against a metal death machine. Yeah, it's like, he's got the technological advantage, but he just does not apply it in a way that does anything most of the time. One of the things he does, actually, that I think about, every time I think about Hordak's, like, just incompetence as, like a, as, as a ruler, like, every single time I think about it, I think about the scene in... I think it's a season four episode. It might be one of the last season four episodes. It's after the fall of um, Selenius. And he's... Catcher's like calling him up on, on Skype. And he is out in the field with the army. Like he's he's just out there doing his thing. Um, and the thing he's doing largely is just shooting stuff with a big laser. He's not actually commanding anybody. He's just kind of like on his own and just shooting stuff with a big laser. It's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to blast stuff. Like he doesn't, he's not a brilliant tactician. He's not a, he's not an amazing manager of resources. He's just a kid trying to play conqueror. Yeah. Which I think is a really compelling character, but ultimately one that is very, Hordak and Katra have such an interesting arc because they are so so mutually destructive for each other yeah like these are two characters that have the potential to kind of grow as people but as long as they're within 10 feet of each other uh that's never ever going to happen they have such similar like baggage and trauma both of them deal with severe abandonment issues self self self-image issues like but like they are both not interested in exploring or bettering themselves as long as they have the other one there to uh like encourage their worst habits like as long as Katra is there to lie about entrapta letting the princesses in and just send hordak into this huge spiral or as long as hordak is there to constantly berate Katra, even when she's making a lot more successes than than he ever is and the the braiding thing also is like a whole a whole deal and kind of similar to uh, Shadow Weaver a little bit in that way where they they both kind of like um, they can't handle it when somebody else kind of steals their thunder a little bit so they have to kind of put them down and 
you know, make them make them understand where their place really is. Because uh, as it turns out, neither of them are like especially good at their jobs. Um, Katra, like I said, Katra's starting to kind of figure this out. Like, you know, she gets made second in command in this episode, and I think that she's starting to understand. Like, hey, I got us closer to this than anyone else ever has, and it wasn't especially hard. So we're gonna definitely win. Yeah, like, what have we been doing this whole time? Look at what I did in one day. Yeah, like a di- like a day. Well, I guess probably slightly longer than a day. But yeah, she's just like, okay, I got a technology expert. Um, and in the course of like 48 hours, we've destroyed the entire planet's ecosystem. And we're going to go march on their capital um, and just end the war right now. You know, like, it seems... You know, from her perspective, she's like, hmm, maybe nobody else knows what they're doing. And, you know, eventually she does, like, reach that top spot, basically, in, in uh, season four. She she basically threatens Vordak into sharing power. Um, and that, it just turns out to be empty. It just turns out, oh, this is not never what she wanted at all. This is, it's all falling apart. Um, but we'll get, we'll get to that when we get to season four. I... I might season four is very very strong it, it like it's so hard to compare it to season five but i think it might barely edge out season five as my favorite season thematically yeah it's a it is a strong season like that's where it's one of those situations where in the in the hero's journey right you have like the darkest moment before the dawn and that's basically all of season four. Like, everything just goes miserably for everyone. Like, even, like, at the start of season four and, like, towards the middle of season four, like, you know, things seem like they're going really well for Katra and, and, and company. And then that gets thrown in the garbage. So it's just, like, everyone at the end of season four is completely, abjectly miserable. It's such a fascinating arc to watch, and I really love where it puts all of the characters at its end point. Um, but once again, we'll talk more about that when we get there. For now, I think... Uh, oh, wait. Right, we have a question for the spoilers, and I almost forgot. Oh, yes, um, very good point. One last curious catcher here. Episode 13, spoiler section question. In Adora's Season 5 Shira design... She has a heart, wings, and Catra's headpiece. Bo is glowing in the end of the Battle of Brightmoon. Is that because he's supposed to be a part of Shira's magic? Would Catra's headpiece also glow if she stood with the Rebellion, not as part of the Horde? Uh, the answer is it would, because she's the only one there who has any brain cells. Uh, yes, that's that's very that's very true. Like, um, that's kind of her. That would be her like magical motif. Uh, that would be. Uh, that would come out uh, of that as the headband, because you know, out of out of most of the main cast, she does have like the only brain cells she can rub together. Yeah, like she's the only one out there making moves. Um, Glimmer's smart, but she's impulsive. Bo, you Bo is smart. Bo is Bo is generally makes good decisions, but his his the core of his character is his heart, is his is his emotional intelligence more than his like mechanical know how. Yeah, um, I mean he's Catra. I mean naturally, you know, Bo is like 
Ethereum makes the community extraordinaire here. He, like he he is he is a very smart guy. Um, he is he is a tech wizard in his own right. But yeah, he's he put more of his points into wisdom than int. You know. Yeah, he's not necessarily. He, he, it's not like a big gap, but he is more wise. That is his like. That is his big sort of focus stat. Catra is all dex and int. Uh, very very low wiz. Um, that is that is kind of the kind of the uniting factor in the horde cast. Everyone, no one's got any wisdom in that in that entire uh, fright zone. Yeah, not a one. That's kind of the 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 drain stat uh, for that whole group of people. Yep. Um, but I think with that, that uh, we'll end our our episode on season one, episode thirteen, the Battle of Bright Moon. Yeah, it was uh, it was a fun time, though. You know, obviously our most critical episode, but like, uh, still, still very fun, very enjoyable. Um, super looking yeah, forward to the email episode. That's gonna be quite fun. Lots of fun. Yeah, honestly, when this is the most critical we get about a show, you know, it's pretty good because, the like once again, this is still a really good episode of TV. It's just not a very good episode of Shira. Yeah, exactly. Like by just television standards, like pretty good, quite quite frankly. But you know, you got you got to level the criticism here and there when everything else is so, you know, when when the bar is so high, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to go underneath of it. Yeah, we can't we can't just praise everything all the time, even though we mostly do. There's still got to be some spots that the the show kind of kind of falters and happily enough this is the biggest stumbling block like after this we're pretty much good um until once again i think there's a one episode there's only one episode i like less than this i'm not gonna i'm not gonna spoil what it is yet um because that's where i'm going to be most critical i think Mm -hmm. but you know we'll, we'll get there yeah no everyone look forward to the email episode next week it's gonna be a lot of fun um until then i have been one of your hosts nero And I've been the other host, Jane. And we'll see you on the other side of Podcast Spondos.